No student group has ever built an aircraft that breaks the sound barrier. So, two aerospace engineering students at Oklahoma State University and the University of Oklahoma took on that challenge. It doesn't usually happen on the field, but in research, collaboration between rival schools is common. Welcome to this episode of the Inside OSU Podcast. I'm Mally Jones. Project Boom is a student group whose goal is to exceed Mach 1 or break the sound barrier. In March 2020, OSU graduate Cole Replogle paired up with OU student Colin Watson and brainstormed ideas leading to a project that now includes 300 students from over 70 universities in 19 countries in less than a year. I sat down with the chief engineer, Jonathan Burgess, to talk about the progress Project Boom has made in the last year. To start off, can you just tell us what Project Boom is? Yeah, Project Boom at this moment is a nonprofit organization, but at its uh, conception, you know, it was just an idea of, well, let's try to break the sound barrier, you know, and, and so that had been done by the U.S. government before with an unmanned aircraft, but none... You know, no one else had ever done that and no one, no student organization or group had ever, you know, even come close. And so we began doing some research and, you know, here at Oklahoma State, we have SpeedFest. And so there's a lot of this design build fly kind of happening. And so um, in that we, we kind of already knew about what the fastest UAV or the the unmanned air, uh, unmanned air vehicle is. And so what that is, is it's kind of, we, it's, we coined the name uh, Pink Dorito. And it's a current, the current record holder is a Guinness Book record holder. And I believe he's from Germany and he made this, um, this small scale, you know, unmanned aircraft that looks like a little, like a Dorito, like almost like a triangle wedge. And he painted it pink. So we call it the pink Dorito, but it, it achieved about 450 miles per hour, which was about Mach 0.55 or Mach 0.6, which is 60 or 55% of the sound barrier speed or the speed of sound. And so that's then where we, Cole and Colin, came to the idea of how do we push that further? Well, we could beat the Guinness record that he, you know, set, and then we could also take it further and maybe break the sound barrier, which had never been done, like I just mentioned before. Can you explain the sound barrier? You mentioned that was the goal is to break that sound barrier. Can you explain what that is? The sound wave happens at the nose of the aircraft, so to speak, and then there's these ripples that go in front of it. Well, the faster the plane goes, the closer it gets to these ripples all start getting closer and closer together, and they start stacking up until it gets to the point where they're all basically creating one wall. And when you get right at the sound barrier, which is Mach 1.0, then they've created a barrier, and you have to take that with you. And so you break through the barrier, which is just to go faster than the speed of sound, greater than Mach 1.0, and you drag that, that, that cone with you, and that's what they call a shock wave or a shock cone. And that, that literally is a force that you can feel and see, uh, you know, under certain conditions and things like that. And so that, that aircraft or whatever it is that's going supersonic takes that shock wave with it until it slows back down. And then when it slows back down, the shock wave actually outruns the aircraft again and goes further because it's always trying to go that speed of sound. Now, what is the speed of sound? Well, the speed of sound is, is dependent on a few things. It's dependent on the fluid composition. So if it's air, we can just assume it's air. You know, if it's water, we can assume it's water or whatever, you know, the certain densities and properties. But if it is air, then, then basically it's, it's mainly relative to the temperature. So 
uh, as temperature increases, the speed of sound and that condition increases. So the, the speed of sound is literally the speed that sound travels in any given condition. And so to try to break that, you know, I went a little bit further and tried to describe what the ripples look like to, to kind of visualize that stack that forms in front of the aircraft that creates the, the barrier itself. This is going to be a very loaded question, but how do you even go about doing that? So what I was given as the aerodynamics lead was an engine, uh, a motor, a turbine, a turbojet, or, uh, you know, an engine that was, was said to be the one that we were going to choose. And so I took that. I knew its size. I knew its fuel consumption rate um, at maximum throttle, and I knew its maximum amount of thrust that it gave. So I just took that and also knew what we were trying to do, which was, you know, go Mach 1.0 or, or higher. And not to bore you with all the dynamics of that yet, but that's that's complicated. And so I started to basically go into the books and go into some of my previous homework assignments that I'd done here at Oklahoma State, um, you know, and I'd written some code uh, that basically kind of solved a lot of these things really quickly for you. Um, and I went in and started manipulating some of those things. Um, and some things that popped out almost immediately were uh, based on the, the physics of it, where we had to have a really small wing. And we had to have a nearly perfect what's called CD knot, which is a, a, a zero drag, zero uh, velocity drag coefficient. So that uh, those two things popped out immediately for me as the aerodynamics lead, because, again, I was given an engine and I couldn't change it. Um, and so I had to, you know, take that and then figure out how can I make that engine push something, you know, to the sound barrier. Um, and, and a lot of things popped out from there. But again, the key things, you know, it was a lot of words, but the key things that came from that, from my perspective as the aerodynamics lead at the time, um, was, uh, you know, we had to have a small, small wing or a wing that was a certain size, you know, and then, um, again, we had to have like this nearly perfect, uh, CD knot. Um, and so, so basically just streamline as could be, which makes sense. I mean, obviously, and, but it, but it, what really happened was is some numbers started to pop out. So it gave us, you know, we can be no larger than this on the wing and, and we can be, you know, no dirtier than this in the drag or the aerodynamics, so to speak. Um, and so one of the things that pops out when you have a small wing <laughs> is that you don't make very much lift. And so your, your stall speed goes up when your, when your wings, uh, size goes down. So that immediately popped up another constraint, so to speak, because we wanted to go down, you know, why not just go to a, basically a, a non-existent wing? Well, we still have to control it and we still have to take off, blah, 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 blah. So V stall became another constraint. And so those two things kind of became the two checks, so to speak. So uh, we, we knew that we wanted to maintain a certain V-stall, which ends up being about, it's, it's technically it's 35 meters per second was our constraint. And I think that ends up being somewhere north of 60 miles per hour. Um, and so, uh, so we knew we didn't want to go any above that. And we knew that we didn't want to go above uh, 0.35 meters squared on, on our wing area. Um, and so those really dictated a lot of the design. And from there, you know, it's just kind of re, uh, looking into uh, studies, you know, doing research, trying to find out what works and this and that, and just a lot of trial and error. I had hand drawn out a sketch and that was like all we had, you know, and then some basic numbers and sizes and stuff. And so I got, I think, 40 or 25 people together and made four different teams and they all came up with four independent concepts. And so we literally went from like, 
nine days later, you know, like we went from 15 members to nine days later, a hundred plus with four concepts. You know, we went, started with a hand drawn to four computer, completely drawn animated concepts. And so from there, we just had these four things that we could just kind of like throw at each other and really just pick and choose what we liked. And so that's how, once we had those constraints and we had the four concepts, we just kind of melded them all together until we got something we enjoyed, you know? You mentioned that you work with quite a few other people. So can you kind of go into that? Sure. So like I said, Project Boom mainly started here in Oklahoma between, um, you know, a student at OSU and a student at OU. But that Reddit post that Colin made that bumped us up, that really just put us global, you know. And so at that point, we were students. We've always been students. And we have advisors, you know, but uh, from the industry. But we all of a sudden had people from New Zealand, you know, uh, India. You know, we had all of these different people. And it was awesome because there's there's so much more opportunity potentially for people who had no way of getting tagged into this except for the fact that they've got you know internet and so that's that's again the heartbeat of project boom which is so it it wasn't even evident at first but it just became so evident because of like how rewarding it was to find people who who may not have the opportunity to do this here at oklahoma state we're pretty spoiled in the aerospace, uh, you know, engineering department because we have Speedfest, as I've already mentioned, just lots of hands-on design and build, you know, application here for, for projects. And so I feel like that's really a blessing that I've had that experience, but I've been able to kind of carry that over and, and allow Project Boom to, you know, kind of bring in people who wouldn't have an opportunity to do that. So I've allowed, you know, I've been able to share my experiences here from Oklahoma State to hopefully teach other, you know, and equip other engineers from all around the world, um, you know, that wouldn't have that ability. And so obviously your goal is to break the sound barrier, but what is the importance of attaining that goal? Um, you know, probably very, very limited, actually. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I say that in the sense of I plan on attaining the goal, and I probably will never be satisfied Holy, if I do not attain that goal, you know, as a, as a team, as a as a person, uh, as an individual, as a leader, um, you know, and so to answer that, it really comes down to what is Project Boom about, and what are it what's what's its actual real goal, its tangible goal, and so the thing that it may have not even been evident at first, but it was obviously the heartbeat of Project Boom was was how do we give kind of like a home for people. For, for engineering students or for students in general that don't have anywhere to go right now. And how do we plug some people in who are maybe getting overlooked by the industry? And so the real goal for Project Boom, I think, is to equip and to teach and to, like, you know, basically fraternize, you know, with your colleagues and to get to know and fellowship with everybody. And so to attain the goal of breaking the sound barrier would be the cherry on top of a very densely packed, you know, uh, ice cream sundae. And so it would be obviously the thing that would set it off, but that would be the finish line. And it's, it would hopefully be a really great race up until that point, whether or not we actually cross it, you know? Well, obviously this is a pretty complex project. So when did you start this and how long does something like this take? We are looking at getting, uh, three phases. So I'll just call it phase zero, phase one and phase two. Phase one would be completing in hopefully August uh, to September. And phase two would be in completion 
probably in January to March of next year. Um, so if that kind of gives any kind of frame, so to get the actual, to attain the actual goal that we set out, it would take all the way to phase two to do it. And so to basically answer that, it looks like it's going to take close to two years. For phase zero, we're making an all-electric 3D printed aircraft, and we're actually printing that and in, 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 uh, manufacturing it here in my house in Stillwater. Um, so, you know, we get together here in Stillwater to assemble, you know, and we're going to fly hopefully here either in Stillwater at OSU's flight field. Um, if not, we're going to fly either in Tulsa or Oklahoma City for phase zero. Um, and then, again, that's an all-electric 3D printed aircraft. And then phase one will be subsonic and it'll hopefully go about 600 miles per hour but it'll be carbon fiber and it may still be manufactured here in Stillwater uh, it, it probably will be but it will not be 3D printed it will be carbon fiber and then phase two will be the actual supersonic aircraft uh, and so it will go uh, hopefully Mach 1 plus you know 1.2 1.3 um, and that'll be just basically the same thing as phase one, but larger with a bigger motor. Um, and so everything will be a little bit harder and it'll actually have to go through the sound barrier. Whereas phase one is going to get to about Mach 0.75. From 10 members in Oklahoma to 300 members worldwide, Project Boom has taken off. The project is being measured in baby steps. So the first step is called phase zero, which they are just about to complete. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Mally Jones. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.